gardeners, farmers, compost enthusiasts, and growers. Welcome to The Healthy Garden, the show where soil is important and growing a healthier world is job one. All right, all right, all right. The times they are a-changing and the fall sky is turning red. Can you tell that I'm a little pumped for the fall? The equinox was on my daughter's birthday this year, September 21st. I was supposed to be jamming north back to the farm, but life and interesting occurrences held me back until the start of October. So welcome to the Healthy Garden Podcast, a show where I don't hold back. We got to get people thinking out of the comfort zone. Got to jump in the pool of life when it comes to gardening, growing, survival, health, sustainability, freedom. It's no joke, and neither is this just a gardening show. It's the Garden of Eden, baby, and your life and your family's life may depend on you. In episode number 42, Short Days and Long Nights in the Garden, we are definitely going to move out of the hot days of t-shirts and shorts. We're moving into the cool, the cold, the dark, fall. I love fall. I love the change of the air, the bite of the cold morning. We've already had a couple of chilly mornings on the hillside up here at Ritchie Ranch. But that's a big fake out. The temps are going back to almost 100 this week with the nights in the 60s. In some parts of the world, 60 is a heat wave. Not where I live. But the great thing is that the microbes know what's what and they regulate so many things in the soil. And at 60 degrees, they are still very active in mineralizing nutrient for plants and the long winter ahead. A lot of people get swept up in the cultural sides of the fall and spring equinoxes. I like them for a different reason. I like the practical side of the season. The light versus dark and the warm versus cool versus the Greeks, Persephone's return to the underworld. In ancient Greek mythology, the onset of fall is closely linked to the story of the abduction of Persephone, also called Kor or Kora. She was a goddess who was abducted from her mother, harvest goddess Demeter, and taken to the underworld to become wife of Hades, the god of the dead and the king of the underworld, the unseen, the wealthy one or the giver of wealth. After a period of mourning and struggle, Demeter eventually got her daughter back from Hades. But only for nine months of the year, every fall, Persephone would return to the underworld to spend three months with Hades. During these months, Demeter refused to use her divine skills to make plants grow, explaining why we have three months of winter every year. So that explains it, huh? (laughs) I don't think so. Now, I am of Scottish descent, but I am not a druid, a pagan, or a Wiccan. The underworld is definitely not my scene. I'm a Christian. I follow the light. So the cultural and natural and supernatural sides of the autumnal equinox do nothing for me except in one unusual area, which oddly enough takes us back to the goddess Demeter. And we're going to hit that next when we look at the practice and the wacky, hard to define and even understand form of farming called biodynamics. Try to understand you. I'm the 
Hey there, fall gardeners. Fall is for composting. There is no time of the year better than fall to recharge your garden soil. Our friends at Malibu Compost always say, feed your soil, feed your soul. Now is the time to pick up several bags of booze blend compost from Malibu Compost at your favorite local independent nursery, hardware store, or grow shop, or get it from them online at www.malibucompost.com. Remember, feed your soil today. Don't tell me nothing that I want to hear. Just take me home and make it crystal clear what you want Cause I've been holding it down Wait a minute You gotta get me like a little thing Some kind of loving or the final sting So I know If we are coming the only far out thing that is semi out there and rooted at all in mysticism is my interest in Rudolf Steiner's biodynamic agriculture. For those of you who don't know or have never heard of biodynamics, it is a form of agriculture that was developed by German philosopher Rudolf Steiner in the 1920s. Now you might think it odd that a philosopher, not a farmer, would create a system of agriculture. It is. The story deepens when you add all of the mystery and otherworldliness of Steiner, much that came from his study of Goethe, and especially his look at Faust. We've all or most of us have heard of Faust, or at least the phrase, he sold himself, he sold his soul to the devil. Faust became the embodiment of that thought. The Faust legend first flourished in medieval Europe and is thought to have its earliest roots in the New Testament story of the magician Simon in Acts 8, 9-24. Read it if you haven't. During the superstitious Middle Ages, the story of the man who sold his soul to the devil to procure supernatural powers captured the popular imagination and spread rapidly. At some point, the name of Faust was definitely attached to this figure. A cycle of legends, including some from ancient and medieval sources that were originally told about other magicians, began to collect around him. One of the most widely read magic texts of the period was attributed to Faust, and many others referred to him as an authority. A famous German sage and adventurer born in 1480 was thought by many of his contemporaries to be a magician and probably did practice some sort of black magic. 
Few details of his life are certain, but it is known that he capitalized on the situation by calling himself Faust the Younger, thus acquiring the occult reputation of the legendary character. After a sensational career, this Faust died during a mysterious demonstration of flying, which he put on for a royal audience in Leipzig in 1525. It was generally believed that he had been carried away by the devil. When the Renaissance came to Northern Europe, Faust was made into a symbol of free thought. Anti-clericalism and the opposition to church dogma And that plays into the secular, anti-church, anti-government, defund the police times that we are living in today. Anarchist Emma Goldman once said, Politicians promise you heaven before an election and give you hell after. Remember the Bolshevik Revolution? Can anybody say firing squad? Firing squad! Emma Goldman was an anarchist who lived between 1869 and 1940. She was an activist and writer. She played a pivotal role in the development of anarchist philosophy in North America and Europe in the first half of the 20th century. She was born in Russia, now Lithuania, to a Jewish family, then emigrated to the United States in 1885. She became interested in anarchism after the Chicago Haymarket Affair. The Haymarket Affair, or Haymarket Massacre, Haymarket Riot or Haymarket Square Riot was the aftermath of a bombing that took place at a labor demonstration on May 4, 1886 at Haymarket Square in Chicago. It began as a peaceful rally. Sound familiar? In support of workers striking for an eight-hour workday. After the police killed a worker and injured several workers in an incident the day before, An unknown person threw a dynamite bomb at the police as they acted to disperse the meeting. And the bomb blast and ensuing gunfire resulted in the deaths of seven police officers, four civilians, and dozens others that were wounded. Hmm. I think I just saw that on TV. In states all across America. You? In the internationally publicized legal proceedings that followed, eight anarchists were convicted of conspiracy. The evidence was that one of the defendants may have built the bomb, but none of those on trial had thrown it. Seven were sentenced to death and one to a term of 15 years in prison. Illinois Governor Richard J. Oglesby commuted two of the sentences to terms of life in prison. Another of the defendants committed suicide in jail rather than face the gallows. The other four were hanged on November 11, 1887. In 1893, Illinois Governor John Peter Altguide pardoned the remaining defendants and criticized the trial. The Haymarket Affair is generally considered significant as the origin of International Workers' Day held on May 1st. Goldman became a writer and a renowned lecturer on anarchist philosophy women's rights, and social issues, attracting crowds of thousands. She and anarchist writer and lover Alexander Berkman planned to assassinate industrialist and financer Henry Clay Frick as an act of propaganda. Frick survived the attempt on his life in 1892. Berkman was sentenced to 22 years in prison. Good for him. Goldman was imprisoned several times in the years that followed for inciting to riot and illegally distributing information about birth control 
1906, Goldman founded the anarchist journal Mother Earth. No, not that Mother Earth. Over 100 years ago, Goldman was convicted of impeding the military draft and went to prison in Missouri. Mother Earth and her non-conscription league speeches ended after her incarceration. She fought the draft as anti-democratic while U.S. government was trying to gain support for entry into World War I. Just before Christmas in 1919, after completing her two-year sentence, Goldman was taken to Ellis Island, where she was placed on a ship with other dissidents and then sent away. How many of the anarchists, the Marxists of today, would be willing to do what they are doing today if they were to be shipped off? Adios, goodbye. I don't think many. The problem is they are Americans who are soft and spoiled and have no idea what a third world dictatorship, socialism, communism looks like. They wouldn't last a month or maybe even a couple of weeks without McDonald's or Nike, let alone having to survive a forced labor camp or having to farm 12 hours a day for their comrades. More potatoes, comrade. The experience of the legendary Dr. Faustus who sells his soul to the demon, Mephistopheles, in return for worldly knowledge and pleasure, has been treated as a metaphor for unholy political pacts. We have politicians who now believe that it's okay for doctors to perform late-term abortions or harvest babies' body parts after they're born, then terminate because it's a mother's choice. Really? I think it's a satanic choice, one of the most barbaric things I've ever heard of. But I guess there's a lot of ways that politicians can con us into selling our souls to the devil. But again, I digress. So back to autumn and ritual or practice that is pivotal to biodynamics. By the way, if you want to read more on Steiner and Faust, he wrote a paper in 1918 titled Goethe's Personal Relationship to his Faust, which has been translated into English. It's a must-read for people interested in biodynamics. It will give you a lot of insight. The foundation of biodynamic agriculture is BD Prep 500. The autumn equinox is a time when biodynamic farmers and practitioners stuff dairy cow horns full of dairy cow manure, then bury it for the fall and winter. Around the spring equinox, they dig up the horn manure, and make it into a highly diluted spray that is applied to their fields and enlivens cosmic forces. Biodynamic field spray, BD500, when used in planting or transplanting, stimulates germination and root growth. It also increases soil microorganisms that aid in the decomposition and into the transformation to stable humus when turning in cover crops. I know for a bunch of you out there, you're probably saying, Whoa, wait a minute. He doesn't believe in the cultural fall celebrations, but he'll stuff cow horns with cow pies and bury them for six months? Crackers! I know, I know. For those of you who don't know about biodynamics or who haven't seen it applied to a garden or on a farm, it's not as crazy as it sounds. As I said, I like the practical side of the season. To me, the best thing that we can do is manure compost throughout the year, especially in the fall. What I learned from my pal, Alan York, 
took composting a step further by adding the BD preps to the mix. The primary preparation and the start of it all was BD 500. I didn't believe it either until I used it on a landscape project in Malibu. I had some horrible land that was really tired and had been cared for with conventional fertilizers and tons of poisons. I mixed a small amount of the BD500 into a bucket of water, stirred it as prescribed for an hour, and then spread it on a half acre section of the garden with a fine hair brush. My landscape crew thought I was nuts. The old man had flipped his lid. But their contempt became a belief that there was something to this crazy protocol once we saw the life in that garden start to change overnight. That was one of the first things that made me willing to learn how to make biodynamic compost and use the preparations in different applications. I don't hold on to a lot of Steiner's beliefs. He and I see the world in a very different way, which by the way is okay. We don't all have to agree on everything. There is a principle, which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation from Herbert Spencer. I do know this. Many of the precepts of biodynamic farming work. I know that the best compost I've ever used is biodynamic, and I know that it's getting dark really early around here these days. Up next, what happens to your garden when the sun starts going down, 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 earlier and earlier in the season of autumn? Hi, it's Norma, biological farmer and producer of the Healthy Garden Podcast. Did you know that the amount of moonlight influences the growth of plants? As the moonlight increases during a new moon and second quarter, leaf growth is stimulated. So you'll notice that during that time your seedlings will grow quicker. Something else that will help your seedlings grow quicker is Malibu Compost's new product, Boo's Beginning Seed Starter. It's true organic, biodynamic, and non-GMO. So after the full moon, the moonlight decreases and leaf growth energy slows down, giving energy to the root growth of the plants or seedlings. So between the full moon and third quarter, it's best to plant root crops, divide plants, and also to transplant. I always transplant in Malibu Compost's Baby Booze potting soil. It has 25% of their famous booze blend compost in it, plus other true organic ingredients. Go to MalibuCompost.com for your booze beginning seed starter, Baby Booze potting soil, and all your moon gardening needs. And get free shipping while you're at it. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Thank you.
colder mornings, shorter days, longer nights. That's it in a nutshell, fall. It's undeniable when that crisp autumnal air, which is more typical of October, settles in over the valley. On Tuesday, the autumnal equinox puts summer officially behind us. The equinox is the transition from summer to fall in the Northern Hemisphere. It happens at a precise moment when the sun's direct rays are straight over Earth's equator. The autumnal equinox is basically the halfway point between the longest and shortest days of the year. It's the only day of the year besides the spring equinox in March when day and night last about 12 hours long everywhere. They are also the only times when anywhere on Earth you can see the sunrise at due east and the sunset due west on the horizon. Another interesting piece about the equinox for us gardeners is the gradual fading of the sunlight as Earth slips into its darkest season, winter. Our change in daylight is different depending on the latitude that you live in. If you live closer to the equator, the change in daylight is much less dramatic than it is at higher latitudes. Around the autumnal equinox in Washington, D.C., it loses about 2 minutes and 30 seconds of daylight per day. While in Miami, they only lose 90 seconds. Meanwhile, Seattle sees daylight vanish by nearly 3.5 minutes each day. And in Fairbanks, Alaska, the difference is more than 6.5 minutes. That's pretty massive. And one of the telltales about why what areas have longer or even year-round growing season while others blank out after the first frosts begin to come. The bottom line is that overall the number of hours of daylight each day is shorter in the winter than in summer. Even plants in locations that receive sun all day long receive fewer hours of sunlight in the fall and in the winter than in the summer. This does not have a significant negative effect on most plants growing in your garden. Many plants are dormant during the winter, even those that are evergreen. Plants that grow naturally during the winter, such as spring flowering bulbs like iris or cool season bedding plants and vegetables, still get adequate light in sunny spots despite the shorter hours. Remember, Winter, spring, summer, or fall. All you got to do is... No, stop that. Elevator music. Excuse me. Your full sun plants need eight hours of direct sun every day. There are, however, photoperiodic plants that measure the number of hours of darkness in a 24-hour day. These plants that respond to a long, unbroken period of darkness are called short day plants. And guess what? The plants that only bloom when the nights are short are called long day plants. Who knew? The long nights in a fall and winter trigger a growth response in short day plants that make them form bulbs or bloom. They also signal to our deciduous trees that it's time to drop their leaves during the fall. One of our most famous photoperiodic short day plants is the poinsettia. Poinsettias are only triggered to bloom when the nights are long in the fall and winter. 
Other examples of short day plants are chrysanthemum, camellia, and the Christmas cactus. Another major difference between light in summer and winter is the sun stays much lower in the sky at this time of the year. In the northern hemisphere, the earth is tilted away from the sun and the opposite occurs during the summer. This is what makes the sun stay low in the fall evening sky. The change in the angle of the sun also makes the sunlight weaker and less intense, which is one of the things that cause our weather to change and become colder during the winter. A huge factor in the garden is the lower angle of the sun casts much longer shadows in the fall and winter than in spring and summer. A bed that gets direct sun most of the day in the summer may be totally shaded by longer shadows in the winter. Another thing to note is that when deciduous trees drop their leaves, areas they once covered with shadow may now be in direct sun or partial sun. Most of us have gardens that are sunny part of the year and shady part of the year, which begs the question, what kind of plants should I plant? Ones that like sun or ones that like shade? It's easy. Just make sure that the light is appropriate for a plant when it is in active growth. For beds that are shady in summer and sunny in winter, choose plants that like shade when they are in active growth during the summer, like azaleas, hydrangeas, ferns, so that when the trees drop their leaves, the sun won't bother them. Now let's talk about my favorite part of the garden, the food garden, and what we should have planted or be planting this fall and into the winter. There's a couple of things that we might want to think about besides actually planting and the weather in fall at all. Aside from having the right fall and winter vegetables to plant, there are things that we can do to protect our gardens to make sure they thrive. For example, we're going to put a greenhouse in next year. You'd be amazed at the various sizes, shapes, and pricing on all of the greenhouses that are available these days. That could be one of your best investments for the future moving forward. It could be huge to find a way to grow in weather that gets below freezing, in the snow, or even from the environmental hazards of the future. Having a greenhouse or a cold frame gives us the ability to grow food year-round, which in uncertain times like these could be a lifesaver or a game changer. About six weeks before the first frost of the season, plant your garlic for next spring. Also, get those hardy leafy greens like cabbage and mustard greens into your fall garden. These can survive the harshest of conditions that the winter months can throw your way. Even snow, rain, and ice cold temperatures. Also, plant asparagus in autumn for a spring harvest. It's a perennial and will come up in the spring when it's chilly outside. Also, plant radishes. They're tough and grow beautifully in sunny weather with the crisp fall temps as low as 50 degrees. It's a great vegetable to plant in the fall in areas that don't get too cold in the winter. Plant your peas. They can withstand freezing temperatures and favor mild to cooler conditions. Peas are a great nutrient-dense vegetable for the fall garden. You gotta have lettuce. Brisk temperatures suit robust lettuce whose seeds can be sown in the fall for a harvest between one and three months after their initial planting. 
Another cold weather rock star is cabbage. Jack Frost will not get the best of this delicious leafy green, one of my favorites. Cabbage is grown to thrive in frost and is ready to pick come winter. And last on this quick list is broccoli. The brassica hates heat. She's a major bolter, but she loves the cool, even a little frost. Again, another one of my fall favorites. And the last thing, gang, don't forget about your fruit trees. Here's eight things to do or look at for those important beauties this fall. One, protect young trees. Protect the youngsters against nibbling by rabbits, field mice, and other rodents. There's a lot of options out there regarding tree guards, but always use things that are safe, non-toxic, and material that won't dig into the bark of the trunk. Number two, protect against frost cracking. In cold areas of the country, fruit trees and other thin bark species are prone to frost cracking. It happens when sap warms up where sunlight hits the trunk on a warm winter day, only to freeze suddenly as the temperatures drop. This cracking affects the tree's ability to take up moisture and nutrient. It also leaves an opening for insects. Protect the bark with tree wrap. Again, something that's non-toxic, safe, and something that won't dig into the tree through the bark and into the cambium layer. Number three, mulch. If you're a mulcher, you can add two to three inches of clean wood chip mulch around your fruit trees. This will help stifle the grass and weeds from growing, which we don't mind. They're nitrogen. We chop and drop them. Again, if you're a mulcher, you can spread the mulch as far as the drip line. But remember, keep those wood chips several inches away from the tree trunk to avoid causing issues with insects and disease. Number four, clean up your fruit. Insects and disease can overwinter in plant debris. Apple scab is a common disease that is caused by spores released from the dead apple leaves and fruit left on the ground. Apple maggots overwinter in fruit left on the ground. Removing and destroying the fallen fruit in a timely manner can break that cycle. Five, harvest. Pick pears before they mature. They'll be firmer than pears ripe for eating and let them ripen indoors in a cool room such as a basement if you have one. When picking apples, grasp the apple from the bottom and gently twist the fruit upwards to one side. Number six, water. Keep fruit trees well watered until late fall. This is especially important if rainfall is short. Water deeply, one to two inches at a time so moisture penetrates fully into the root zone. Number seven, fertilization. <laughs> we don't fertilize. We use compost teas and compost. In cold areas, as we move closer to colder days and frost, we need to pull back on any type of fertilizing so that we don't develop new growth, which won't harden off in time for the winter. In cold climates, get your composting done early and hit it with a tea. In warmer climates, applying compost tea even in November is fine, so long as the temps are constant. All fruit trees should get a good half inch to one inch composting in the fall to feed the soil after harvesting. And also, what this does 
is it'll help you give some microbial food to the biology in your soil, which will give you a great start for next year. And number eight, pest control. Fall is a good time to apply an insect barrier such as tanglefoot. For such pests as gypsy moss, canker worms, weevils, ants, caterpillars, cutworms. We know that there are people out there that don't like it, but we find that the sticky solution is long-lasting and fairly weatherproof and traps bugs as they crawl up the tree to find winter hiding spots. Sorry, pests. So there you have it, team. You got some biodynamics, some anarchy, what to do with your fruit trees, some good things to think about planting or growing, including getting a greenhouse. This is the perfect time to get out in that garden and make it sing, help it thrive, continue to make your healthy garden and your personal health and vitality grow and grow in these short days and long nights in the garden. That concludes this episode of the Healthy Garden Podcast. Please post your questions on the Healthy Garden Podcast pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us next week to learn more about how you can free yourself from the chemical and synthetic trap that's been set to keep you from growing a true, organic, and healthy garden. Until then, happy and healthy gardening.